0: Hello and welcome to COVID Stories, a podcast series regarding leadership following the COVID-19 outbreak. I'm your host, Dallas Emerson, Director of Business Development at the IT Guys. Before we get started, these interviews were conducted during the COVID lockdown and were held over Microsoft Teams. Any sound quality issues are the result of social distancing that we're all too familiar with. If you're listening on our site, we're thrilled to have you, but you might find it easier to listen to COVID stories through iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. Joining me today is Linda Brady, Executive Director of the Texas Dental Association. How are you doing, Linda? Doing well. How are you today, Dallas? I'm doing just fine. Trying not to die of heat exhaustion, but otherwise doing just fine. (laughs) So this is a question that I open pretty much every interview with. Uh, because I think it's important, and I know people are tired of hearing my explanation at this point, but I think it's important to kind of have an idea of when all of this became common knowledge. When did you first hear of COVID nineteen?
1: Yeah, so I want to say it was pro- it was in December at some point. Just reading the news, um, hearing about what was happening overseas um, for TDA we actively started monitoring it. I want to say it was like mid to late January, early February, just really starting to think through how it could potentially <clears throat> excuse me, impact our citywide convention. We weren't thinking at that point the wider scope of how it could impact dentistry in general. So we were focused at the time on our convention, but that was roughly the time frame when we started tracking it.
0: That's very interesting. Uh, I think I'd have to go back and listen, but I think you are the I think you have the earliest time frame of anybody else that I've heard. Uh, <laughs> so congratulations, you're the best informed so far.
1: Well, we were we were unfortunately looking at purchasing event cancellation insurance. And we normally do that fairly late in our planning cycle. And so that's really, I think, what prompted us to start looking at it and paying attention to it that early, because that's when we were looking at our event cancellation insurance. And those companies had started excluding COVID, I want to say, in late December or January. And that started hitting the insurance news cycle. So our broker... Um, was really the person, our insurance broker, that brought it to our attention, which gave us that pause to step back and really start
0: tracking it carefully. That is fascinating. That is very interesting. That the, the insurance—it was the insurance that, that tipped you off. So, right. in the best of times, mm-hmm. what is TDA's focus? And how has that changed in our new reality?
1: We are um, obviously a a statewide association. We our members are dentists, individual. We're part of the American Dental Association tripartite. Um, One of our primary um, areas that we focus on typically is our advocacy program and lobbying efforts throughout the state of Texas and representing dentists in Texas. Um, So that's continued through this pandemic to be our focus, but our advocacy program has shifted substantially. So it's this common thread of what we did pre-COVID and during COVID, but really what we've done on a day-to-day basis for advocacy has changed quite dramatically. So typically we're um, lobbying in the state legislature and you know we're we're working with um, well over a hundred representatives and 30 what is it 31 state senators I think it's 150 in the house 31 in the Senate. So normally our advocacy program is really hitting, um, and trying to reach those individuals with COVID, our advocacy, we've really had to change quite substantially to, um, working directly with Governor Abbott's office and the strike force to open, uh, Texas. So what is normally having, a, what's normally a very wide scope in terms of numbers of people we're trying to, to work with went, very narrow, straight to the governor's office. And so that's been, um, a very big, um, substantial change for us.
0: Okay. Well, that's interesting that you have to go from, uh, targeting the legislature in general to just going after the governor's office. Now I remember, uh, you know, you, we've been harassing you for a long time to try to get a, uh, to get this interview with you. And you had mentioned something about distributing PPE. Would you like to get into a little bit about what TDA has been doing with that? Sure,
1: sure, yeah. So part of our work with Governor Abbott and his team has been um, to move dentists up in terms of priority to get PPE throughout the state of Texas. And the ADA, the American Dental Association, has been working directly with FEMA at the national level to do the same for dentists. Um, dentists, unfortunately, in the beginning were not on the list of priority to get PPE. Now on the national level, they're, they're fourth on the list or at least the last time I checked. And in Texas, we've um, had great success working with Governor Abbott, chief kid of the Texas Division of Emergency Management and um, in getting PPE to dentists. So uh, Governor Abbott pledged um, a significant number of N95 respirators to, to Texas dentists. Um, as part of our work with his team, we had to quickly <laughs> um, figure out how to distribute 300,000 respirators to Texas dentists. Um, we found a great partner outside of Houston, a logistics company to help us do this. We worked with uh, Chief Kid and his team over at TDEM. Um, we were able to get the respirators out to dentists. We ran out very quickly, and so Chief Kid and his team over at TDEM sent another 300,000 respirators um, for us to continue distribution. So this has been this um, great collaboration with the state to distribute at least respirators um to the dentists and we've been also in touch with the regional advisory councils or also called racs to help um get dentists linked up with their local racs for uh PPE distribution as well.
0: Had TDA ever taken on a similar role in distributing goods in the past or is this kind of no. new territory?
1: Yeah, this was this was new territory. So we had, you know, when, when Governor Abbott said, we're, we're giving you hundreds of thousands of respirators, um, we sort of took that step back for a split second and said, well, I don't think we can take those and have them delivered to the office. We're, 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 what are we going to do with these and how are we going to distribute them? Um, so this was a um, totally new territory for us. And fortunately, with great partnerships um, through our TDA perks, endorsed vendors, and even, you know, we ended up working with a company in the Houston area that is a connection through one of our member dentists. You know, we just, we, we, we made it work.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, on a little bit more, I guess, of the operational side, I know that you, like just about everybody else, had to transition to remote work. How did that go for your organization, for your staff? going from working in office to working out of the office?
1: It happened very quickly. Um, I want to say it was, we, we went remote March 16th, I believe it was, um, and backing out of that date, it was that Thursday prior to March 16th, where I had an all-staff meeting at the office, and we started thinking through what that could look like and, and what we would need um, by... Um, Sunday, uh, on Friday, excuse me, on Friday, before everybody left for the day, I made sure everybody brought their laptops home and anything they would need to work remote. And literally by Sunday afternoon, I was making the call to all staff that we would be going remote on Monday morning. Um, The teams adapted very well. The um, IT changes we made uh, in 2019 ended up being critical to our seamless transition. So with most of the staff having laptops or the or the portable uh, desktop computers, it just, it, it went very well. Um, I think the biggest challenge with, with moving remote so quick had nothing to do on the IT side, but more about just household dynamics with the various team members, trying to figure out childcare in school, and, you know, if they didn't have a dedicated office at home, which most people don't, trying to figure out a, a quiet place, uh, things like that, I think, ended up being a little bit more challenging for each individual staff person to figure out those aspects uh, than from an IT perspective. So it, it, it overall went very well, and it was really, uh, I think, a, a big credit to the work that we did, TDA and the IT guys, back in 2019 transitioning our IT systems.
0: Well, I'm glad to hear that. And I, I do find it fascinating that I think a lot of people initially approach the problems of COVID-19, or at least of the work-related problems around COVID-19 as a technical problem. And they really quickly realized it's really more on a, a people issue and trying to figure out how to organize and where you're going to work, how you're going to work. But as a leader, uh, what aspect of Kind of the, the the troubles presented by COVID-19 have you found most difficult to deal with?
1: Um, let's see. I, I think communication has probably been one of the biggest challenges and most difficult. And it, it's not necessarily because we've been remote that communication has been a challenge. It's really been more about the fast moving nature of the situation. And we were dealing with trying to decide as an organization, working in in concert with the American Dental Association, looking at CDC guidelines and recommendations and what was coming from the state on when to close dental practices that, you know, they were going to be closed down for. um, other than for emergency cases only, uh, things like that. It was just moving so quickly, and every second of every day seemed to be uh, uh, just changing changing news and changing dynamics. So communication really ended up being, I think, and continues to be challenging, but that, that certainly was one of the most difficult uh, parts of this as a leader.
0: And so... During this time, I know a lot of associations are looking at their memberships. You know, most associations or maybe not most, but a significant number of associations I know rely not just on membership dues, but on major events. But they're also worried right now about those members not being able to afford their membership or, well, for a long time, the association world has seen declining activity from their membership. So what steps during the COVID-19 pandemic has TDA taken to retain or maybe even increase its membership?
1: For us, um, because advocacy is really one of the core areas we focus on as an organization, we have um, taken steps in terms of membership to continue to highlight the um, advocacy program and some fairly big successes that we've had during this pandemic on the advocacy front, so that's really been our continued focus and just hitting that very hard with our current members and all of the prospective members, all the dentists across Texas who are not current members. And so we hired we ended up hiring a public relations firm during the during the pandemic and uh, worked with a video marketing firm which was an in-kind donation on, the, on the, the latter part there with the video marketing firm, to help hone our messaging and really showcase the value of membership to both current and prospective members. Um, we spoke before about the respirator distribution. We made sure that um, members had access to the respirators first, um, then we opened it up to all, all dentists in Texas. So we gave them sort of a priority. and that was really advocacy is hard because you rarely have something so tangible in uh, marketing the value of an advocacy program. And so for one of the first times, it was a very tangible benefit to say, because of our work um, with the governor's office in the state of Texas, we have these respirators. We're going to give them to members first, and then we'll open them up to the rest of dentists in Texas. So we did several things like that on the membership front to really reinforce the value of our lobbying and advocacy program. And we did little things like, you know, making sure that every shipment that went out, we've done 8,000 shipments so far of respirators. So we made sure there was an insert um, that, you know, really uh, reinforces that message and And those types of things. Um, I think the one thing that, um, I almost hate to admit this, backfired a little bit on us um, with all this was social media (laughs) Um, and specifically on Facebook. So as we've been working um, throughout the whole pandemic, social media, we realized was, was, was not helping us. Uh, with membership and our communication strategy. So that was one area in working with the PR firm where we actually ended up taking a step back a little bit um, on social media for a period of time because it was really uh, doing more harm than good.
0: <clears throat> if you don't mind, can I ask what that looked like? What what negative were you getting from social media? Uh,
1: it was just very controversial in dentistry. Um, you know, first of all, the um, uh, the dentists and really dental teens who were, um, you know, dealing with pretty much, I think, the first time ever being shut down um, to only providing emergency care. So it was the emotions behind all those decisions and lack of control, I think, in some, you know, some cases, um, people were just really struggling with those uh, new guidelines that were coming out, what constituted emergency care versus versus non-emergency care. So there was just a lot of differences of opinions. And so what we were finding is that no matter what we were putting out on social media, specifically Facebook was really the, the, um, the biggest challenge we had, Um, there was a long string of comments. I mean, we had engagement on on Facebook that we had never seen before. Um, But we were spending 24-7 literally trying to defend ourselves constantly. And it was, it, it just ended up, like I said, doing more harm than good. So we're We didn't stop all social media, we just really took a step back and decided, we were carefully deciding what we were gonna put out and what we weren't gonna put out. And we kept in touch with our members through aggressive email um, schedule to make sure our communication was in real time as much as possible to our members and making sure they had the information they needed on decisions being made and what resources were available. And just really scaled back quite a bit on social media um, which was more of a, a free-for-all um, you know there's there's no limits to who can who can like your facebook page and so forth so it was it was an interesting um case study of facebook comments and so forth
0: <laughs> yeah there, there really does seem to be something about it you know i know um this is a little bit off the the the, uh, the association nonprofit world track, but I think there is an interesting difference between how people interact with news, how people interact with a tweet, and then there's something about Facebook that just makes people go very personal very quickly, more so than I think any other platform I've seen. Uh, it's interesting that your case study kind of proved that, um, and I think an interesting lesson that a lot of other associations and well just anybody involved. Uh, Facing the public uh, could benefit from. Yeah. So yeah. obviously, and this is going to be the biggest, uh, Captain Obvious moment maybe of all time. This has had a major impact and will continue to have a major impact on how associations operate. COVID nineteen has. What specific things do you see changing permanently, or at very least for the long term, uh, in the associate in the association world in general, and then for TDA specifically?
1: Well, I think um, in general, you know, my my comments on this are focused, I'll narrowly focus them on uh, continuing education, professional development. Obviously, there's just turmoil in the meetings industry, the hospitality industry. And I think the lasting effects of that, you know, we could see this um, go into, unfortunately, multiple years because of just the substantial impact it's had um, on those markets. And I do think changes will be made moving forward. I don't know exactly what they might look like, but I just imagine that changes will happen um, in those areas um, that will stay long-term. For TDA specifically, we're, we're looking at our CE program um, we're still planning our citywide convention in May of 2021. Um, we had to cancel our 2020 citywide convention this year. Um, but for our CE programs, we're now trying to rethink, um, in addition to a citywide, what can we do to sort of bridge the online, virtual world with the in-person? Because dentistry is so hands-on. Um, you can have lectures all day long, but ultimately at the end of the day, you know, they they will need some hands-on workshops um, with hand pieces and so forth, everything you see at the dental and a dental practice. So what we're looking at right now is really a hybrid approach. We have 26 local components across the state of Texas. So what we're exploring right now is doing online lecture and then working with our with working with our components, excuse me, to have very small group hands-on portions of that continuing education experience. So doing the big lectures online with the hands-on pieces in very small groups where they can have, if needed, social distancing. Um, they can be at smaller venues, they can maybe even be in a dental practice, depending on the the size of a component and resources available. So we're trying to rethink what we can be doing in that space that might meet the needs now, but then longer term might might prove to be a little bit
0: innovative for TDA. Okay. Now, this is kind of going to be rolling back a little bit, I guess, but something you had said earlier about communication being one of the key issues, but not necessarily how you communicate. It's that what you need to communicate keeps changing. How do you go about setting expectations? How do you go about just trying to trying to get across a coherent message at a time when, you know, I know we're both in the Austin area, when our city government, our county, and our state government, international government can't all be on the same page. How do you do that as, as a leader?
1: Uh, you know, I wish I had an answer for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, it has proven to be, uh, just incredibly challenging, um, because like we both said, everything's changing so quickly. So we've been relying on, you know, just getting down to the sort of brass tacks of it, you know, we're like right now we're talking on, on teams, you know, so for the staff, we created different, um, teams within Microsoft teams to just communicate in real time from a staff level. Um, Communicating those expectations has really been a moving target. So for the staff, um, I work with the director team who's then working with their each departmental teams. Um, We're having all staff meetings and so forth. Um, From a board and volunteer leader perspective, we meet a lot. (laughs) And so, expectations, information is just um being communicated as quickly as possible. Um, you know, and then really with um going back to TDA being a state association and being part of the American Dental Association, we're considered a tripartite membership. So we have the national ADA, TDA being the state, and then our our local components. And um it's that strength i think in the tripartite that's really helped us understand what was happening and then really um uh, helped us um figure out what the expectations are what's realistic and then uh, uh, you know doing our best to communicate them in any way possible so lots of phone calls lots of text messages microsoft teams just everything constantly
0: and I imagine a lot of grace being given when suddenly the rules change,
1: correct, yes, yes, and we we keep joking around um that through the the pandemic our you know favorite word has been pivot, <laughs> so it's like we're constantly pivoting
0: <laughs> yes. I think my favorite term thus far has been for now for now, we'll be doing this right for now, it looks like this, right. So, you know, and kind of on this topic of changing circumstances, you know, we're recording this in early, mid-July. And we here in Texas are, well, the nation is seeing something of, you know, the second wave or really wave one and a half. For Texas, really, it's our first major wave of COVID-19. What are TDA's plans Mm -hmm. Moving forward, how, how are you going to be dealing with what appears to be yet another increase? And I imagine your members are all very nervous that they're going to be, you know, the, the regulations are going to be put back in place.
1: Yeah, there's definitely concern among Texas dentists that, um, you know, they will be closed down again for emergency cases only, um, which would be devastating to their practices. Um, we don't believe that's going to happen though, um, from everything that we're hearing, um, STDA working with, uh, Governor Abbott and his team. So we don't believe they're going to be shut down again, but, you know, really that's, we, we continue to monitor that very closely and work on it very closely, um, for sort of this continuation of the first wave, second wave, whatever it is. We've um, also worked closely with our advocacy efforts, with the ADA, the CDC, and those agencies, the Texas State Board of Dental Examiners, to make sure that the um, that the dental teams, not just the dentists, but the hygienists, the assistants, and everybody really working in the dental practices have the proper PPE and are protected. And um, so that that's been something that we've been working quite a bit on and making sure that our members understand what's needed and um, that they have resources to get uh, the PPE needed um, plans moving forward. It's a moving target. <laughs> it's really a moving target. Um, operationally, I think we can probably talk about that in a bit. Um, you know, I, I do envision some shifts um, with TDA operations moving forward depending on what happens.
0: So, I mean, I guess what are those changes that you're looking at?
1: Um, From an operational standpoint, so TDA, we own our building in Austin. So we have our office suite for TDA, um, but we also have tenants. And so we're, um, we're looking at what needs to happen within the building itself, within our suite. Uh, We've been, prior to COVID, looking at building renovations. So we've had a task force working for two years actually um, on renovating our building. And so now that that's been approved, it was just approved in May to move forward. Um, We are looking at what changes, you know, we might need to make with our space layout and so forth. just given if, if this continues, and how to keep people safe and health, healthy in our building. From a staff perspective, um, really remote work. Um, we, we embraced it, <laughs> we are living it, um, and I, I think an aspect of that will be enduring well past COVID. And I'm hoping we do get past COVID, but I do think that will endure to a great extent. Um, So especially now that we have the technology that really enables us to do that.
0: You know, that's been one of the, uh, I don't want to call it the upsides, maybe the silver lining to the dark cloud of COVID-19 is that there's a lot of organizations who knew they had the potential to work in large scale remotely, but who didn't want to Undergo the pain of testing that, uh, and then suddenly it became a governmentally mandated pain. And so, well, okay, now we we all got to test it and see how it works. And I think for the most part, people are finding uh, that operations can continue with everybody working remotely. Now, the extroverted among us maybe are losing our minds, but the uh, but I think in general, particularly in the association world, what we've seen is that operations, while altered, obviously, are continuing in a relatively normal way. Would you agree with this? Yes, absolutely.
1: Absolutely. We've had very little that um, we've had to, um, that we couldn't do remote. So um, there's been only a few small things that we actually have people still going to the office on occasion, not on a regular basis. But really, it's, it's, it's just gone very well, and um, we all quickly realized the extent of pretty much everything could be done remote. But it is it is sad that we don't get to see each other face-to-face on
0: a on a regular basis. Association people, I mean, well, associations by their nature are staffed by people people, uh, you know, and they work with people people because those are the kinds of people who want to go to association events. So this has been... Well, operationally, like you said, pretty uh, relatively smooth transition from the people perspective. I think it's just been it's been devastating. So I want to be respectful of your time. We have one question left, uh, and that's very open ended. If you could offer any advice to other leaders in the association world, in the nonprofit world and the corporate world in general on what they should be doing moving forward, what would that advice be?
1: my goodness um that's a that's a tough one. I think the lesson for me at least I don't know if it would be great advice, but the lesson that i've I've sort of taken to heart in all this is transparency is crucial um, on a day to day basis. I always try to be transparent, but really during um something of this nature and scope and just something so devastating. Transparency has been has been very critical. Um, being flexible, um, as I said earlier, our favorite word throughout this has been pivot <laughs> <laughs> or nimble, uh, flexible. Um, so I've encouraged my team to um, just you know, try not to be too, too tied to doing things one way or another. We, we have to be very flexible in how we work, how we think and really how we get, um, you know, reach our goals. And then finally, I think listening is key and making sure we're hearing what our members want, what our prospective members need, um, scanning the environment, understanding those dynamics. Texas is a very large state. There's um, very different perspectives across the state and really trying to understand how people may be perceiving things, um, how there might be differences in certain areas, whether urban or rural or whatnot and uh, keeping a, a, our fingers on the pulse of that very closely and being able to um, pivot, <laughs> be flexible, and respond as needed.
0: Okay. I think that's I think that's something we can all take to heart. Well, Linda, I want to thank you so much for your time, uh, for your insights. I know I've enjoyed this. Uh, I'm pretty sure our listeners have enjoyed this too. So just uh, thank you for sharing your wisdom and experience here.
1: It's been a pleasure. Sorry it took so long to schedule it, Dallas.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh, no, it's it's okay. I mean, I understand the IT guys are almost as important as the governor, but the governor's just uh, has a little bit of of, a, of an advantage there. So. <laughs> All right, Linda, okay. you, you stay safe. Thanks, you too. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. I'm Dallas Emerson with the IT Guys, and this has been COVID Stories. I'd like to remind listeners that you have a COVID story, and we want to hear it. Send me an email at dallas at itguysusa.com, and let's set up a time to talk about your COVID story. Your story may be just the thing someone needs to hear. Thanks again.